This is the Emergency Medical Minute, sponsored by Mile High Ambulance. Hey EMM, it's Mason here to tell you about an exciting new opportunity we are offering. In an effort to tangibly improve our organization's commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion, we created the Diversity and Inclusion Award that fourth-year medical students that identify as underrepresented in medicine and are applying to emergency medicine residencies are eligible to apply for starting today. We understand that the cost of applying to residency adds up, and we want to do what we can to ease that financial burden. We are extending three $200 awards to selected individuals following a blinded review of all applications. Applications will be accepted through the end of November, and winners will be announced mid-December. Check out our website at www.emergencymedicalminute.org backslash EDI award for all the details and to access the free application or click the link in our show notes. Thank you. All right. So especially with all the red on the board and the trends we've seen, I think it's kind of good to breach a little bit of inpatient medicine sometimes or in particular ICU medicine. With this most recent kind of string of COVID, I don't know what you guys have seen. Maybe it's just my own biased view. I feel like I've intubated more than I have in the last two weeks than I had in the last like year. And I feel like, you know, early on we were doing this early intubation strategy. I think we realized maybe that was not always needed. And then lately I feel like we've just seen patients failing BiPAP, failing high flow nasal cannula and kind of going down that path. And so I was going to talk about a few other things that are thrown. Like hopefully we're never to the point where proning a patient in the ER intubated. I mean, that's really like... That needs to be done in the unit. Yeah. But at the same time, there might be some intermediate things as well. So if we have a crashing patient, they're ventilated. We have them on kind of max settings. There's different kind of ventilator settings, which is a whole nother discussion as well. But some other things that we might consider are like inhaled nitric oxide, or there's kind of the flow land, which I don't know if anybody's used either of those. Has anybody dealt with that? Inhaled nitric oxide or inhaled flow land? So it's a prostaglandin is that second one. It can be inhaled or nebulized, or it can be given intravenously. And you know, all three of those actually have probably a fair amount of equivalence to like how well they work. Um, so we're just kind of talking general what they're used for, but they're really geared more towards right-sided heart failure. Or pulmonary hypertension is kind of the classic use for them. But what we've seen is there's a lot of use for ARDS patients, um, which has translated to COVID patients. There are studies that have looked at PE patients. So PE is a right heart failure. And it's really like kind of the studies are, it's not harmful in those patients. It's probably helpful but not really statistically significant. But when we look at COVID patients, we know that it kind of falls with those latter two. There's often an ARDS picture and there's often PE or a similar kind of process going on as well. So when you inhale these, you know, like nitric oxide or other kind of things, it causes pulmonary vasodilation. So it's kind of dilating the right side of the heart so that it can have less resistance that it's fighting against. And you do need to be careful because if they are purely a left-sided heart failure patient, you might make them worse because you're reducing their preload. You're not letting enough fluid kind of get into the left side of the heart, which might make them tank. But at the same time, if they are a right-sided heart failure patient, you know, it often is very needed because the right side of the heart is very unforgiving. You know, the left side of the heart can deal a lot with high pressures and can we can fluctuate, we can diurese, we can do all these things. The right heart deals with such little pressures that it doesn't tolerate really big variances very readily. And so things like nitric oxide or other kind of things can kind of help offset some of that resistance that the right side of the heart faces. When we use it, it's a kind of a complicated setup, so we do need RT. I believe nitric oxide is the preferred here, but other hospitals like North Sub or some other places are gonna prefer Flowland because it's cheaper is the bottom line. 
they are probably all like an equivalent use. Like I work with AirLife, as you guys know, and we um, transport nitric oxide patients. That's one of the few places that do that. So we don't see a lot of these transports come in. Typically it would be an ICU to ICU transfer, not really ER that we're initiating that. But again, who knows these days, right? So um, it's just something to kind of be familiar with. It is overall very safe, but we do need to watch for hypotension. And it's something what's nice is if you turn it off, they're gonna rebound quickly. If they're pulmonary hypertension, you don't want to turn it off because if you turn it off quickly, they're going to tank. They really kind of need to be weaned off like you're typically halving the dose every couple hours. And so it's a very slow wean for pulmonary hypertension. As far as other things, there's some potential for hemolysis. So you do need to watch are they getting kind of, you know, any signs of bleeding anywhere or it can also cause a limited platelet aggregation. So if they have any evidence of bleeding, it's something to be considered. But, you know, the half-life of nitric oxide is in minutes and so it's out of their system pretty quickly. So. In a crashing patient, you can also nebulize just straight nitroglycerin. So we get IV nitroglycerin. You can actually nebulize it through their ET tube or through nasal prongs for high flow nasal cannula. So there are times we can just do a quicker setup than getting down the machine and the pump and everything that's required for these other therapies as well. So just a few things to be aware of, and it's not often that we're doing that, but occasionally we do see a sick pulmonary hypertension patient, and it might be kind of some unusual therapies like, why are we nebulizing nitroglycerin? Or what is that flow land? I've never heard of this drug. So there's just things to be kind of aware of. And again, as we are breaching more holding and more inpatient ICU medicine, I think it's good to be at least familiar with those things. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Health One Continental Division and Swedish Medical Center for their financial contributions to the EMM. Donations from them and listeners like you make it possible for us to fulfill our mission of producing and spreading free medical education to the masses. If you enjoy our show, please consider making a one-time or reoccurring donation to help cover our operational costs and keep the EMM awesome. Click on the link in our show notes to make a donation. Thank you for listening.